first reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13, which can be found on page 1154. 1154. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I came a man, I put away all childhood behind me. For now we only have reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, which is found on page 1, 2, 3, 4. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, <clears throat> These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. May we allow your love to touch us and bring change. Amen. Those um, that were able to be here on Tuesday night at the Transformed Evening were greatly blessed, I think, by listening once again to David Bracewell, who brought alive the book of Revelation for us. He helped us to see beyond the scary pictures that we find a bit hard to understand to the love that wrote it. He reminded us that the point of this book was to convey the reality of life in heaven to people on earth as it speaks both to the first century church in their situations and to us here today in 21st century Bath. If you weren't able to be there, do find somebody later on after coffee, when we're having coffee, and then chat about what they learned. I'm sure you'll find um, that it's well worth um, sharing the, what he shared on Tuesday night. Today we've got the opportunity to look at uh, the first of the seven letters that John wrote to the churches. And as we ponder the message that John had for them, we might consider our own church here at St. Swithin's. Perhaps there are lessons we can learn too. So, not unlike Bath, Ephesus was a terribly impressive, beautiful city. In its day, it was an important seaport on the main trading route between Rome and the Orient. It was a significant place in the Roman Empire and was full of beautiful buildings, including the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was, however, a deeply pagan city, and Christians weren't very popular there at all. As the letter opens, we're reminded that its message comes from one even more powerful than the powers in Rome, from Jesus, he who holds the stars in his hands. John begins with a paragraph of praise for this church, who it seems have been doing all the right things. It must have been hard to resist feeling rather satisfied that Jesus had noticed their good deeds their hard work and perseverance, not to mention the hardships that they had endured in his name. Remember, this letter was to be read out to all the churches in the region, so I expect the church in Ephesus received this first paragraph with a warm glow of satisfaction. 
this church, founded by Paul in his third missionary journey, has benefited from sound doctrine of so many wonderful teachers. Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos, Timothy, John himself. And so it's not perhaps surprising that they're also commended for their spiritual discernment. It had always been known for its sound doctrine, its charismatic power, and its evangelistic zeal. And Jesus had noticed. How wonderful for them. And then comes that tiny word, yet. Whenever you see this word in scripture, you know there's a little problem coming. So we must brace ourselves for the but, for the challenge that follows. For all its many good points, this church has apparently lost its passion for Jesus. This letter must have been a little bit like receiving your school report, only it would have been read out to all your friends, not just suffered in the privacy of your home and your parents. So I wonder if the church leapt to their own defense and exclaimed in indignation. Did they say, but look at all we've done for you? They might reasonably have done so. Isn't that enough, they might think? But God's answer is quite clearly, no, it's not. He wants their love. Although it's impossible to love the Lord without serving him, it's a sin to serve the Lord without loving him. For as love without service is false, so also service without love is merely cold duty. Put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. The church is often described as the bride of Christ. How would it feel to be married to someone who merely served you faithfully, but out of cold duty? Jesus showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he gave his life for us on the cross. So complete was his passion for you that he held nothing back. He longs for your love. We live in a world that is quite obsessed with the notion of love. When we're first in love, not only our hearts but also our heads are completely consumed by the thoughts of the one that we adore. Because the other is always in your thoughts, it's not difficult to talk about them and it's rarely a chore to do things for them because what we want more than anything else is to please them. Other people might well be richer, cleverer, more perfect in stature, better dressed or more accomplished in some way. But you just don't care because to be in love with someone who loves you in the same way is a most precious and beautiful thing. The French surrealist poet André Breton said, all my life my heart has yearned for a thing I cannot name. If the media is anything to go by, he's not alone. In a mere 18 seconds, Google will offer you 771 million different references to check out this concept of love. 
Beautiful pieces of music and art are inspired by it. Our poetry and literature chart its many shades. Even in films, you cannot escape our longing to love and be loved. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you might remember the incident in which Ron, Harry's friend, inadvertently swallows a love potion. While he's under its influence, poor Ron can think of nothing other than the object of his passion and, incidentally, the maker of the potion, the beautiful Grimelda Vane. His mind is taken up with enchanting thoughts of her. He wants to be with her, and if not in her presence, he wants to talk about her. He cannot understand why any, everyone else doesn't share his appreciation of her many merits. Now, the incident is comic, and it makes us smile, because to some degree, we see ourselves in the gentle mockery of young love and the way it consumes the heart, the body, and the mind. As the human race, we long to be known and to be loved, for it's not enough simply to love. We want that love to be returned. It seems the Ephesian church is no longer in this state of being utterly in love. The first bloom of their passion for their Lord, like Grimelda's potion, has eventually worn off. Perhaps we might be tempted to think it's quite normal. After all, it's easy to tell a brand new Christian, isn't it? They're often the ones with the bright, cheesy smile and the endless enthusiasm to talk to anyone who will listen about Jesus. If we're honest, we must sometimes find it a little wearing. We expect that maybe they'll calm down after a little while. But should we think that? It's the, this very complacency that Jesus complains about in the church in Ephesus. All their good works are all very well, but he wants their passion. He knows they work hard in his name, but that's not enough. He wants their hearts to be on fire for him too. Passionate devotion to Jesus is what guides and inspires our love for others. Busyness in his name alone won't keep that passion alive, for it's the state of our love life that matters not how many times a week we're seen out in public with him. As I pondered this notion yesterday, the Lord brought to mind toffee apples. Now stay with me here, it does have a point. Dipped in beautiful, glossy, sweet coating, they look so inviting, so tempting, so sweet. But the sweet coating, although eye-catching and beautiful, is fragile, brittle, and thin. In no time at all, you break through to the tartness of the apple, which is really no different to any other apple from the tree. Some years ago, when the children were small, we had a large youth group, and we always shared with them a bonfire party where homemade toffee apples always featured. They were very, very popular. And yet, so often, the youngsters didn't finish the apple. For once the glamour of the coating had gone, it rather lost its appeal. 
For a really sweet treat, you need to poach the fruit in syrup and let the sugar permeate right the way through the fruit. I wonder if that's a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Are we a church of toppy apples, glossy and crisp on the outside, but in reality, unchanged within? Or will we allow the fruit, uh, the syrup of the Holy Spirit rather, to soak us, to soften us, and to change our hearts right the way through? To seep into our very being and make us sweet from the inside out? When we do, when we do that, the compassionate heart of Christ becomes our heart. And we live to return that love to him who gave his all for us. We can't help but share it with those around us. And we display those beautiful aspects of the fruit of the Spirit read to us from Corinthians. Without that, however, without that surrender, that complete acceptance and response to God's love for us, any number of vision statements, mission groups, alpha courses, whatever you like, all the well-intentioned busyness in Jesus' name is not going to be enough. God wants your love. That's all. The story of the whole Bible is one of enduring love. The breathtaking, patient, wholehearted love of God for his people underpins every single page. He longs for them to return his love. In the Old Testament, we're told of young King Josiah. It's in Kings, if you want to read it. He reintroduced active worship to the temple. We're told he turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. We're told there was no other king quite like him. In the New Testament, we meet Jesus, God's only son, and we see scandalous grace, extravagant love that gives its all on the cross for you, for me, careless of our unworthiness, simply longing for our love in, re in return for his. You see, a garden that's not tended soon becomes overgrown and full of weeds, as I know to my cost. A marriage that's not treasured and worked at can easily become distant and cold. Nobody means it to happen, but neglect has that effect on a relationship. There are consequences to everything we do in life, good and bad. And so the letter ends up with a warning and a promise. The church in Ephesus is warned that if they don't change their ways, their relationship with God will fade away. They probably thought that was impossible at the time. They were such a significant force in the early Christian world. But do you know, there are apparently no live Christian churches in Ephesus today. The sobering thought. We began with praise. We read on to find challenge. And we end with promise. 
The promise for those who allow the Holy Spirit to reignite the fire of love in their hearts for Jesus is eternal life. The fruit of the tree of life was withheld from Adam and Eve, but it's offered as a reward to all those who overcome. We don't really know a lot about the Nicolaitans or what they were getting up to, but we do see here that they're found wanting. And to the credit, to the credit of the church in Ephesus, they've been alert and they've been discerning. But nonetheless, they and we need to hear the warning. God longs for our love. Do you long for him? Do you dilly-dally in his company? Do you linger in his presence, returning his love? When people fall newly in love with someone, they have no desire to rush away. Meetings are not perfunctory, crisp and based on business. Moments together are things you long for, you make excuses for, you prolong for no good reason at all. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus today? Or have we lost the bloom of our first love? Could we be accused of being very busy doing lovely things for him, but having really and truly lost sight of the heart of the gospel message, which is how much God longs to have you back? Only you know the answer to that. But my prayer for us as we approach the communion table this morning is that as we come, we return to the passion of our first love. As you receive the bread and the wine, linger in God's presence for just a moment and be reminded just how much he loves you. Don't let the Holy Spirit simply coat you. Let him soak you right to the heart. Let his love change you from the inside out and offer him all of your love in return. Amen.